What does it take to be a great leader? Tap into people and purpose and have those as your motivators. How am I serving the people? How am I bringing us together to achieve something bigger than ourselves? Now you've got a chance to start being influential with other people. That's David Dye. He's the best-selling author of Tomorrow Together, Essays of Hope, Healing, and Humanity. Today, we'll talk with him about why vulnerability and perspective are critical components of any effective leader. But first, this is the FitMass where together, we learn to develop habits that help us live beyond our mental health struggles to create happier, healthier lives. He's Zach. He lives in the future with his anxiety. He's Jeremy, and he lives in the past with his depression. And we get together once a week in the present to share the obstacles we face and how we overcome them. And this week, that obstacle is figuring out how to be an effective leader, whether it's at home, at the office, or wherever you need to show up better in your life. And Zach, this episode is a perfect dovetail to what we did last week, talking about just getting your shit together, getting organized, figuring out how to get things done which can help you become a more effective leader. And this is something you know a lot about because you've spent a lot of time in leadership in recent years. So they say. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I've been leading teams for, I think, over 10 years now. And what have you found to be some of the most valuable pieces of being a great leader? Just, you know, like, like we're going to find out in the interview, like being vulnerable and letting people know that you are human and that you make mistakes too. It really does open up the door to this really, really effective and efficient relationship that you can have with people that you have to lead. And this doesn't even mean like at work, right? Even having that conversation with a spouse, with your children, it doesn't matter. Like having that vulnerable conversation and allowing other people to know that you struggle, you have gone through hard times and you have figured shit out. People will follow you a little bit more so knowing that you've been through the struggle. I think anybody listening to this would agree with the second part of that, that of course, with your family, with your loved ones, vulnerability is key. You've got to open up to have those great connections with people. For some people, and maybe you've seen this in your work experience, the idea of being open, vulnerable, sharing your feelings, sharing your struggle in a corporate work environment up until very recently, I think would have been not only unusual, but frowned upon to, to bring your personal life. That, that was, it was always a lesson, right? Don't bring your personal life at home. We don't have some room for that here. This is work. I disagree with that. I mean, I have years and years and years of having one-on-ones with my team members, with them spending half of the time in our one-on-ones telling me about personal struggles that they're having. Not looking for advice and I'm not helping them, but I'm mm-hmm. just sitting there listening mm-hmm. and they unload, they vent. And those are some of the best people that I ever had on my team because they had half an hour to go in and be totally unjudged and just unload yeah. all of their problems, all of their struggles. And they'd walk out and they'd be like, oh, okay, well, I guess I can get some work done now and I don't have to worry about that other stuff. So I, I mean, yeah, I guess typical corporate environments, it wasn't okay for a long time. And I think it's starting to become okay, but I've always been that guy. I've always listened but I've also always dumped all my problems on my boss as well. Was that always uh, well-received? Um, up until one boss. And I think yeah. we spoke about it, the boss that I had about a year and a half ago where I just ended up leaving because he was, yeah, we, I, I won't go into what he was, but let's just suffice yeah. to say that I can, I can use some four-letter words <laughs> to describe this gentleman perfectly. I, I completely understand. I've had bosses too where, where I've tried, like as, as a... I guess what's subordinate, I don't know what the right word would be, but someone working for someone else, I would try and- Minion. 
Oh, what is it? A minion? A minion. A minion. A, a, a barely, not, I'm not even going to say hardworking minion, a showing up minion uh, would, would try and go to bosses with, hey, I've got this personal thing that's going on. And it's funny because there are some that are just like wide open to it and they've got space for it and they can hear it. And then there are some that are sociopaths that just look at you dead eyed, like you're speaking another language. And mm-hmm. so I know as someone who has had to try and relate to leaders, to, to my managers, that having that open door, knowing that that is a safe place to go with that stuff so that it has a place to land so you can be a more effective minion <laughs> was, was always incredibly valuable because I would try to get help from the others. And just when you get that dead stare, you're just like, you don't care. I'm a number. Where's my check? Thank you. See you Monday. Yeah, no, I've, and I've been in so many situations where, you know, that struggle that somebody's going through as their leader, I've been able to afford them some leeway to take care of whatever it is that they're going through. And I won't speak into any details because I b- might get in trouble, but you know, I've gone. <laughs> what are their names? Against... What are their social security numbers? Where can we call well, them? <laughs> well, no, like I've gone against company policy a couple of times, like, mm. you know, in another country, somebody had to go get help because they actually had something happen physically to them. Right. And the law was that they were supposed to use all of their vacation time and then go on the equivalent of short-term disability. Mm. But I just kept them fully on the books paid. They didn't use any of their vacation time, nothing. Mm -hmm. I just kept them on for like two months Yeah, and told HR that they were still working. So you were a human being about it. That's, that's very generous. They continued to get paid. They continued to have health insurance to get through all of this. So like, the first 20 years of my life were miserable and I've been there and I totally get it. So wherever I can, I'm going to afford somebody the opportunity to get through whatever they're struggling through in as comfortable a manner as they possibly can. They shouldn't have to worry about their job. Quickly want to mention our sponsor, Athletic Greens. If you want to empty that overflowing cabinet full of vitamins and replace them with one great tasting drink, then order Athletic Greens now. So you can not only give your body what it needs to thrive, but we'll give you a free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. The link to try it out is in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. All right, so all this openness and feelings and sharing and stuff, apparently it's a part of the office these days, and it, in fact, helps make you be a better leader. For some more perspective on this, we're joined by David Dye. He's the best-selling author of Tomorrow Together, Essays of Hope, Healing, and Humanity. And we started the conversation discussing the importance of perspective in any leader. When you think about perspective, for me, uh, the first place I think about perspective is with stress. So much of our stress and so much of the ill health effects of stress are because we're really tight about something, but is it really important in the grand scheme? There are things that are definitely truly important. And you go up and look at the night sky and if you can see the stars and you think about how big a world we live in, how fast this planet is moving. I've got a chapter in there about standing still. We are all moving at hundreds of thousands of miles per hour. We're not aware of it. The earth is spinning. The earth is moving through space. The sun is moving through space. I mean, it's at a tremendous amount of speed going on. We're not aware of any of that. We don't have that perspective. I remember a time when I was a kid, I grew up in the West part of Denver. I was used to seeing downtown Denver from a particular perspective. One day, a friend's mom drives me over to the east side of town in the back of a pickup. We're all laying down flat because it's cold, it's windy, it's February. I'll never forget this. And I sit up and it's like my whole world turned upside down because I had a completely different perspective of downtown Denver. Okay, well, that's cool. The weird part, this is like 11, 12-year-old brain, was when I realized that there were kids that grew up there 
And that's the only perspective they'd ever known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, those, those aspects of what we're seeing and how we're seeing it makes such a difference for us. And, you know, when we're talking about reframing, whether it's our journey on health and wellness, whether it's our approach to leadership, like you said, everybody's got their own experience. And if we're thinking about not just our perspective, but other people's perspectives, we're just, we're going to be more effective in every aspect of our life. I like to call myself a leader. I think I'm okay at it. Most people say I am. I literally had a couple of examples of perspective happen last week in, you know, somebody who would constantly assume negative intent on somebody else's actions because they didn't have that perspective of what the other person was trying to do. The other person's playing for the same team. They're trying to win. They're just doing what is right for the company, but the other person would assume negative intent. So I've been helping this person, coaching him through like switching that focus, but I would love to hear your thoughts on how do you change that focus or how do you change that perspective or accept it in a way that's positive? Zach, the first thing I want to say is I love when you said, well, I think I'm a leader. I, maybe I'm a leader. You know, I, I like to consider myself a leader. You're a leader. I mean, you're positively <laughs> influencing people. This podcast, you, you know, the both of you are, are Zach and Jeremy, you're definitely doing good work in the world. I just ran my first ultra marathon and uh, I'm still having trouble referring to myself as a runner. I haven't right. got there yet. So, you know, uh, that's part of the journey. But to, to your question about how do you help someone change their perspective? There are a couple things that I think, and this is not easy work. Uh, and the first question I have for anyone listening is, are you able to change your own perspective? Are you open to data shaping how you see the world and the truth and the way that you understand things and the stories that we tell about ourselves? You know, Zach, learning about you, we have a similar thing. I weighed almost 300 pounds. I've lost a tremendous amount of that weight. I had to reframe and reconsider the truth I understood about myself in order to go on that journey. And so recognizing how difficult that is for us gives us some empathy for how difficult that's going to be for another human being. And so building that relationship, I call it reflect to connect, where connecting with the emotion of what we're hearing from another person, it sounds like you're really frustrated, you're excited, you're, you're sad. Can we make that emotional connection first? so that the person feels seen, feels heard, and then we're able to start to go on a journey together. Then from there, it's curiosity. I'm not trying to overturn their mental models and and ways of thinking. I want to start where they are and start asking questions and getting them thinking, is it possible that this person could be approaching it this way? Have you tried doing this? What do you think might happen if you were to go about it this way? And I've had some really, really awesome successes with leaders that I've been coaching and developing and working with over the years who have made some of those transitions and really fundamentally changed their way of looking at other human beings. And I've had those who didn't, Mm -hmm. who didn't want to do that work or it was too painful or it somehow called into question something that a core belief that they didn't want to deal with. And that's okay. You know, that not everybody's willing to go on that journey, but the first place to help maximize our chance of success, can we connect at that emotional level? And then can we get curious? Where are they coming from? How are they seeing? And then can we start introducing curiosity into their thought processes and the questions they're asking? This is just striking me because there's so much of this is what I think is causing a lot of division for people right now and, and not being able to relate to each other is that lack of perspective or that lack of maybe lack of curiosity or willingness to open up and question our own beliefs. 
Yeah. So how do we, uh, I guess first, why do we get stuck there? Why do we cling to these beliefs and how do we start to pry them? I, I, I would, I'm, I'm stuck here because I feel like the person who's clinging to it doesn't have a desire to let it go or to question it. So let's start first, I guess, with how do they get stuck with that belief that keeps them locked where they are? Yeah. If you were to choose a theme of tomorrow together, really, there are so many different aspects of answering this question, Jeremy, uh, coming from different ways of looking at it. There's a comfort level that comes with the security of knowing what we know. It's human nature, that confirmation bias. It's a real thing. It is comfortable for us to know what we know, and it's comfortable for us to accumulate the facts that support what we already know and interpret what we see in light of all what we already know. It's uncomfortable to do that differently, but what can make it more comfortable is relationship. And so one of the, the principles for me, like, and I think anybody who we care about the future of things, part of what we have to do is recognize that other people, for the most part, I grant you there are that minuscule percentage of exceptions, but other people did not wake up trying to think about how to ruin your life. They woke up trying to figure out how to survive and make the best of their life. I like to say, you're not the center of anyone else's universe. I mean, maybe you have a dog. If you have a dog, you might be the center <laughs> of their But, you know, otherwise, you're not the center of anybody else's universe. They're trying to do the best they can. So starting with that, that level of empathy and recognizing, okay, they're on the journey they're on. And then where does the polarization, where does the isolation, where does all that come in? Part of it's fear. You know, we're living in a time of change. I mean, you can look at humanity historically and not any one individual, but the mass of humanity. And whenever we go through times of change and uncertainty and fear, and I don't know what's happening and is my status changing and do I feel a sense of loss now I'm holding on? I mean, listen, we're three white guys talking on a, on a podcast right, right now. The world is changing and for the better, in my opinion, and that change is frightening to many people. And so, okay, I can start with, there's some real legitimate fear there. You know, let's go back to the, the pandemic. People who are wearing masks, people who aren't wearing masks, and they get fired up at each other. But why? They're both coming from a place of fear of, and uncertainty of all that's going on. And if I can tap into that and recognize that emotion and start there, I've got a chance to have a conversation. And that relationship, that conversation is critical. That's, you know, that's the start of everything. And I think the other aspect is recognizing that there's truth behind just about everybody's position. There's some kind of truth. It might be an emotional truth. It might be a way of looking at the world, but there's something. So I share a story in uh, Tomorrow Together about this island, Bonaire. It's this desert island in the South Caribbean, 60 miles north of Venezuela. Uh, you can go scuba diving there and different things, but there are wild donkeys roaming around this island. Well, if you know anything about that, there's not supposed to be donkeys roaming around the island. They're, a native, they're an invasive species. They were brought there 400 years ago by the Spaniards to haul salt and, and such. And then when machinery came along, you didn't need the donkeys. They just turned them loose. Like, what else are we going to do with these donkeys? Well, the donkeys don't belong there. It's a hostile environment. They're eating all the plants. They're getting sick. They're getting hit by cars, different things. So somebody started a donkey preserve to care for the donkeys. And you're thinking, well, that's an obviously a good thing. At least I thought so. I visited it. It's like Shrek on donkey. You know, it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> but you, you spend a little time investigating, and I found out that there's a whole petition opposed to the donkey sanctuary. I'm like, what is wow. going on here? How can this be? Well, you dig a little deeper, and you find out that these folks, they don't want to see the donkeys removed from the island. They feel like it's part of their heritage now. 
400 years. That's a long time. That's it's part of what is now. Um, so it's heritage. Um, also, they also care about the donkeys and they, they don't like the fact that some of the donkeys are being sterilized when they're brought in to control the population and that some are euthanized because they're ill or sick and so on. And so, you know, there's a position of caring on both sides of that discussion and we can have a discussion if we can see that in one another. In building that relationship, all I can picture is just donkeys roaming all over the place. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> just grab build- a bag of carrots. Everything will be all right. <laughs> That's right. So in, in building these relationships with people from a leader perspective, I know I am a big believer in being vulnerable as a leader. It, it helps relate to people that you are leading. It shows them that you're human. Um, I want to ask you about that. Like in, in this relationship building, you know, how important is vulnerability, whether it is as a leader or as a part of a family or as a friend or anything that you are in this world? Can you talk a little bit about vulnerability and why that's so important to the relationship? Yeah, Zach, it's absolutely critical. And it it, uh, it goes to the heart of why I wrote one of the reasons I wrote this book. Uh, Tomorrow Together really came because, you know, I, I've got I've got some stuff in my past and everybody has their junk, but I typically don't find a way to share that in those leadership conversations, but it's a critical part of who I am. And it's important for people to understand that. And some of it, it's not stuff I'm always proud of, and it's not, you know, some of it's painful to share, but that, that vulnerability and connectedness is vital. And why, when you look at all the research around trust, trust boils down to four things. Are you credible? Do I think you know what you're doing? Do I have some evidence that you know what you're doing? Reliable. Can I count on you to do what you say you're going to do? And then there's connected. Are we connected? Do I see you as a human being? Do I understand you as a human being? And that's where the vulnerability comes in. Am I opening a little bit? And and it's different for different people. And we all have different comfort levels. I'm not saying you need to to go to work, your next coaching engagement or anything that you're doing and just, you know, throw up all your emotions all over people. <laughs> but it's, can I be a real human being and acknowledge that, yes, I wrestle with, I'm going to call it lowercase d depression and it comes and goes and I'll be fine for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then all of a sudden it's there. I got to deal with it as do, you know, a huge number of people, but we don't talk about it. And So as soon as we can get real with that stuff, it allows people to connect with us. Why? Because everybody else has their stuff. Everybody has their junk. And to look at a leader or a coach or a role model, anybody who holds themselves up as if they don't have those things, and it's just, it's come easy and it's perfection and this is what it is, that puts you on a pedestal. And now I know myself, like, that's not me. Well, good for you. You're special. And now we're disconnected. Mm-hmm. But if I can be vulnerable and, and make that connection and, you know, I think a friend of mine, Jessica Pettis, she says she likes to pair vulnerability and authenticity. They really have to go together. You don't want to be falsely vulnerable or authentic without the true letting us see our humanity. If we can pair both of those things, it, it definitely paves the way for trust. You shared a little vulnerability with us there with your own battle with, uh, as you said, lowercase uh, D depression. Uh, and, and we get asked about this a lot too. So I'll ask you because I feel like it's uh, something that you can help us with is uh, as men, right? Again, here we are three white guys talking about our feelings. 
doesn't happen a lot out, outside of uh, podcasts. Why is that? Why is it tough for men to open up and, and share what's going on inside? Oh, goodness. I mean, where do we begin? There's a, a long <laughs> list of reasons that go back. I mean, the the society and the values that we live in, like all of it came from somewhere, right? And sometimes for good reasons. Another friend of mine, she says, uh, none of us have the habits we have because we want to suck. That's a good point. Right? We have the habits we have because they helped us to survive. For me, holding on and keeping some of my feelings out of the conversation made it a lot easier to work through some difficult parent situations when I was a kid. All right. So we're just going to be real, like go to therapy or whatever. Like that's real. And so I learned some ways of being that were like, Ooh, don't do that. That has some really tough consequences there. That served me, but it built some habits that don't serve me as an adult. If I want intimacy in my adult male or female relationship, doesn't matter what kind of relationship, but it's not going to serve mm -hmm. me if I'm not able to go there. So recognizing that individually we all have whatever we have because of our upbringing, our family, or all of that. But then also we live in a society that reinforces some of those norms and, uh, you know, in the, the locker rooms that we lived in or, or whatever that might, or the friends we had or whatever it might be. I mean, I, rem I remember in uh, seventh grade, <laughs> my best friend from middle school, we are still good friends just on this weekend. I mean, he lives across the country. And somebody asked me like, how did you meet that guy? I'll tell you, the friends I had in seventh grade poured milk in my lunch. I said, I'll take a lot of crap, but you do not mess with my food. <laughs> I, I picked up that lunch tray and I looked around the lunchroom and cafeteria and I said, huh, well, that kid's talking to the science teacher. I don't see too many kids doing that. That's interesting. I went over and said, hey, can I sit here? Decades later, still, still good friends. That's that's shocking. Middle school generally is just easy breezy for everyone, right? I, I, I've never <laughs> yeah, heard so, of such a thing. Just so easy. <laughs> uh, but you know, we we just ha we assume those things. Yeah, it's just easy breezy, whatever. And but we all have that store. Somebody poured yeah. milk at all of our lunch, you yeah, know, or whatever it was for us. Oh yeah, I've I, I may have one or several stories like that from <laughs> school. Um, I definitely, I'm, me, I, I I don't really have anyone from school that I have like a lifelong relationship with i think that has a lot to do with like that vulnerability that i've always been very sensitive jeremy and i met later in life and we were able to develop a really good relationship based on vulnerability but i'm i'd love to dive in a little bit deeper to that and maybe ask about a couple of examples that you might have like as a leader you know being vulnerable and how it helps you know, the first thing that comes to mind, Zach, is when I was an executive, I had an individual, I had a, a team leader, a, an area director, like a director level position, who I had promoted into that role and realized through a series of feedback I was receiving from the team, difficult things I saw happening, he was not in the right role and he was not being responsive to the feedback he was getting. He was not um, changing his behavior to warrant staying in that role. And he was causing a lot of damage to the organization and to the, some of the people on the team. But he was also very well loved by some of those team members. I decided to make a change and it was my responsibility. No one else was going to make it. So I made the change, took him out of the role and moved another person in. And the entire team there are about 10 people, direct reports of this guy, basically 
at about four thirty, five o'clock at the end of the day had caught wind of what was going on and all came to my office together and basically asked me in the firmest of ways, if I'd come down to the conference room and talk with them and by talk with them, they meant yell at me for <laughs> the better part of an hour. And they were, they were in such pain because they were losing this guy that they really respected. They liked he was, and he was awesome. I liked him. He was fantastic to hang out with, but his leadership was limiting the team and damaging some of the folks on the team. And as they challenged me, that vulnerability part, uh, where I'm go going with this is you're talking about a specific example. I had no question I made the right decision. But in that moment, if I had focused on trying to justify the decision, well, let me explain to you why I'm right and you're wrong. Forget it. There's no chance that would have persuaded anybody. Mm -hmm. What they needed was to feel heard, to feel seen, uh, to have their pain recognized. And with that, then to still understand there were some good reasons to make that change. And once I acknowledged that and was almost said, listen, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I couldn't have done this better and I could have communicated it differently. And out of respect for him, I never would have had those conversations with you. And if you're ever in that situation, no one else is going to know about that either. Like, that's just how this works. That said, I recognize you're hurting and I get it. And so not being defensive about that and then asking can we go on this journey together? I know you're hurting and can you trust me a little farther? And can we go on this journey together? And we ended up making the transition and the leader who ended up in that role ended up getting promoted again with all of their backing and they championed him for the next role. And it was a good change. But you know, the, that kind of conversation, I think when we're talking about vulnerability and not getting defensive and being able to show up with connection and curiosity, it just makes a huge difference. What I like about the stories you're sharing here and that you share in the book is that they do lean in heavily to those very topics, vulnerability, curiosity, all these things that, that apply beyond leadership, beyond the office, beyond whatever people do for a living. And so uh, you talked at the beginning about the actionable steps that you uh, offer to leaders. And so I'm just wondering if there's two or three things that you could mention here for someone who's listening, who wants to step up and be a better leader at home, better leader at work, whatever, it, in whatever aspect of their life, what can they do right now to start? getting themselves on that path. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in, in Tomorrow Together, it's interesting because that book, it's really these essays of hope, healing, and humanity is really geared to asking questions and having us stop and reflect and really do some, some soul searching and think about things differently. But when it comes to leadership, like one of the places I always start is why are you choosing to lead? I think this is one of the most fundamental questions we can, we can ask ourselves. I, I think of five Ps. Uh, there, there's people and purpose. Like I'm investing in, I want to lead because I'm investing in the people, supporting the people and the purpose, the, what are the results, the objectives we're trying to achieve in any team. And those are really strong reasons to lead. In fact, both of those, if you can combine those are about as strong as it gets. The other three are power, pride or prestige and the purse or pennies. Uh, so, you know, money, power and pride. And listen, we're human beings. I have those things. You have those things. I know I, I want money. Money's good. I can do good in the world with money. I'm not above liking pride and feeling that sense of status at, at different things. But the reality is power is an illusion. You don't have power over other people. 
that's an illusion. You can influence, but you don't have power. The money is never going to be worth the headache, heartache, and responsibility. And that's just life. And in terms of pride or prestige, the letters after your name are never going to fill the need for status or, or pride that you, that you have. That's got to come from inside. So if you're choosing to lead from those three, those latter three, you're going to have problems. If you're already there, or that's what got you there, time to reassess and how can you tap into people and purpose and have those as your motivators? How am I serving the people? How am I bringing us together to achieve something bigger than ourselves? Now you've got a chance to start being influential with other people. Uh, so we, we call it landing in the end. Like, how am I going to focus on results and relationships in everything that I do? From there, the second thing I would say, clarity, clarity, clarity. Uh, number one problem that we see in any organization, any leader, you're having trouble. You probably don't have alignment about what success looks like and what I need to do as a member of this team in order to contribute to that success. So if you can get that kind of clarity and people know that you care about them, that's 85% of the battle right there. And the fun part is the next 15%. All right. Well, with that, we are about out of time. Where can we learn more about you and your work and your great podcast, by the way? Oh, absolutely. So uh, the name of the show that I uh, uh, host is Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Uh, and so that's the website, leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com. Tomorrow Together is available wherever books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, et cetera. And uh, you can come to letsgrowleaders.com to learn more about our work and the work we do with leaders or the book or anything else. We've got tons of free resources for you. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being on the show with us today. Uh, is, is there anything that we did not touch on that you'd like to leave us with before we wrap things up? Uh, my final thought would be the mountain always wins. One of my favorite essays in, in Tomorrow Together is a story of climbing uh, Colorado's 14,000 foot peaks. And, uh, you know, we set out with good intentions, but we all have to maintain the humility that we are a very small human being in a very large universe. And to maintain, back to our initial conversation, that perspective will always serve us and help us, uh, help us stay on a, an effective path. Our thanks to David Dye, author of Tomorrow Together, Essays of Hope, Healing, and Humanity. You can find links to him and his work in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. And I love the perspective of asking yourself why you would be a leader. I know I had a conversation the other day with somebody and was like, hey, leadership is not sexy. It's not fun. So if you're going to do it, you have to do it for the right reasons. And if you're not doing it for people or purpose, like you said, it's going to be really hard for me personally. Like I want to give back to the community. I want to help other people grow in the same way that other people helped me. So, you know, leadership is really, it's very close to me, but if I was just out for the money and people were numbers and widgets, ugh, that would be horrible. Yeah. Uh, his other advice about just getting clarity and, and figuring out whether it's for your family or for your office or whatever situation you're trying to lead in, figuring out what does success mean to that team or to your family, and then really examine how you can contribute to it. And, and as part of getting clarity, right, prioritizing what's important. Some of us get caught up in busy work that's not actually important. But going back to our last show, make sure that what you're doing is actually important and not just urgent. And then finally, as we put a really fine point on, vulnerability is such a key these days to being an effective leader, whether it is with your team at work or with your family just leading from a place of openness and sharing in that struggle really creates a bond and, and a connection with everyone you're trying to influence 
because they can relate to you as a human being and not as the person who's just trying to drop the hammer and get things done. Again, I don't like I don't like speaking about this part of my life, but I am. Wait, are you, I've, are you about have, to get vulnerable? Yeah. Well, I've always I, I try and keep this part separate. I have always been rated extremely high, like in the top three of leaders in any company that I've worked at. And I personally believe that being vulnerable with my teams is probably the single contributing factor to being rated that high all the time. Does your arm hurt from patting yourself on the back so hard? <laughs> See, that's why I didn't want to fucking say it. Yes, my arm does hurt, but not for patting myself on the back. All right. Well, see, and that's why guys can't be vulnerable because somebody just takes a shit in your face whenever you try and open up and, and share. So there you go. And a, a good example of not being a good leader, as someone explains a situation of being a good leader. What do you think makes a great leader? We'd love to hear from you on uh, what you value in leaders, but maybe even better yet, I'd love to hear more horror stories of people that have worked with bad leaders or where they've failed on their own to, to be a good leader. So uh, you can share those comments in our Facebook group, which is linked to the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com, which is where we will be back next week with another episode. Thanks so much for listening. See you, everyone. <laughs> Dickhead. <laughs> we know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.